0: Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're continuing our series on the story of my Great Loop, and our guest today will be Jake Kranzik, Jake looped solo, aboard a sailboat. So a couple of um, different twists, kind of not your average looper. So we thought he would be a great guest to cover some of the questions people have about those different styles of looping. So we'll bring Jake in in just a moment, but first I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And Jake Kranczak, wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for being here to share your story.
1: Nice to see you. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, let's kind of um, start from the beginning. You know, what made you, how did you first learn about the Great Loop and what made it something that you wanted to tackle?
1: Well, I didn't learn about it until just before that uh, I wanted to do it. I, I wanted to go down the Mississippi River. I live in Illinois uh, by Starve Rock in Utica, Illinois, and it's uh, Rock Lock and Dam. And then we own property on the Vermillion River that feeds into the Illinois River. And everybody goes by here, all the loopers. But I didn't know about that. I was just thinking like to go down to New Orleans. And a lot of people in our area have done that by canoe or boats or whatever. But the problem is, is once you get there, how do you get back? And what do you do with the boat when you get there? So I thought about it when I was thinking of doing it. This was probably in the late 80s, early 90s, trying to make that trip maybe when I retire. And then what do you do with that boat when you get there? It could be a tough time to sell it everything. And then I started checking into it when I retired And I found this thing about the loop, that you can do a loop and go around and come back. I saw that. I thought that's perfect. Then I can come back here and don't have to worry about selling the boat right away and, you know, problems like that. So that's how it happened.
0: Well, it certainly extended your trip, I'm sure, quite a bit to stop in New Orleans. Um, But so since New Orleans was initially kind of your intended destination, did you... New Orleans. Did you take the Lower Mississippi, or did you take the Ten Tom route that that
1: most? I took the Ten Tom. I thought about making a right uh, when I got out of Mobile Bay there, but uh, the person I was traveling with went uh, didn't go as far as they they were think they were going to go. So I was solo again right there, and then uh, New Orleans. That's what I talked about when I was in the 80s and 90s thinking about it. Our daughter ended up going to Tulane down there, so we made a lot of trips to New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) Many
0: times. <laughs> yeah. Well, interestingly enough, with um Southwest Florida uh kind of uh, changing a lot of people's plans oh, for the winter with the devastation there. Yeah, um, there are a lot of loopers who are turning right uh this season and then heading coming out of Mobile Bay and heading for New Orleans just as kind of a side trip. They've got, you know, time to kill, so to speak, because there isn't any place for extended dockage
2: oh, in the Fort That's Myers
0: area. So uh Definitely. some of them are, are kind of doing your initial plan there. But um you know, you mentioned, well, I guess I mentioned in the intro that um, you looped solo. Um, yes. Tell us more about that, because I understand that you are married.
1: Yes. Uh, my wife was kind enough to let me do this trip. Uh, she works with uh, people that have dementia, and she has different clients, and she wanted to stay home and take care of them. And uh, she gave a blessing for me to go on the loop, so that's what I did. I got home... I think two or three times I came home, uh, my, our what was it, uh, fourth grandchild was born, so I mm-hmm. came home for that, I came home for Christmas, and there were some other things in there, but she was good enough to let me go. Yeah.
0: Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the boat, because in, in addition to kind of being a solo looper, um, although you did have some crew, and we will talk about that too, but, Tell us about the boat itself, because it was a sailboat, um, yes, and at last yes. check, our database tells us that about 9% of loopers have sailboats as opposed to powerboats. I do suspect some of those are not the boat that the member intends to loop on, um, because when you're out there looping, as you probably found, there's prob- it's probably not 9% that are sailboats, so tell us a little bit about your boat and why that became your great loop boat.
1: Well, I never, I never owned a boat. So I wanted to do the loop. I wanted to do it as economically as possible. So I read some of the Skipper Bobs and everybody went through and he went through with all different kinds of boats. And I thought, well, that would be the way to do it. And then it's also I it can use it up here uh, for Lake Michigan for sailing. So I thought that would be a good option. And I ended up uh, getting it from Crowley's uh, over there by Chicago in West Chicago, South Chicago. And uh, it was an O-day. It was a 77. It was a 32 foot, and it was a center cockpit. Now, center cockpit is like having a trawler with an aft aft uh, berth back there. So there's two separate berths. I, I had a head in the back, a sink in the back, and my twin bed in the back. Then there's the cockpit, and then up front, then you had your head up there again, your your kitchen. And V uh, uh, berth and the settee, everything was up there. So it worked out because the people. I, when I thought of people coming with me or coming to visit, we'd have separate cabins, and that would be nice. You know, you're not crowded in there. So that's what they went with. And it had a little four cylinder uh, diesel in it
2: mm-hmm. that
1: burned about a third to a quarter of a gallon an hour. So it's wow. almost nothing.
2: <laughs>
0: Even that's with that, the... really
1: economical. <laughs>
0: Yeah, even with fuel prices where they are today, that would still be an economical choice. Yeah, yeah, I have to admit I'm a bit envious. (laughs) Uh, Fuel
1: did not become an issue. I was worried about it when we did the Hoppies thing and, you know, going down to Green Turtle Bay. And I was worried there about extra, you know, five gallon jerry cans to carry fuel. We went with a 28 gallon tank, I think, was in there. And I never used any of the jerry cans. We got all the way, you know, to Green Turtle Bay, and I think I took about 14 gallons of fuel. That was it.
0: Wow. And this yeah. was, um, remind us, Jake, when you did the loop.
1: 16 and 17. Okay. I left August or September 11th, and I returned, and 16, and I returned uh, August 26th, 27th, I can't remember the exact date, mm-hmm. in seventeen. So in
0: was 18. that before the Paducah fuel dock opened?
1: Yes, Okay. Yeah, there wasn't any, but it, like I say, I was worried, but it wasn't an issue for us.
0: Yeah. So for for those who have you know looked at the loop route and have concerns about fuel, um, when Jake did it, the, the biggest distance between fuel stops was from Hoppies and Kimswick, Missouri, on the uh, Mississippi, to Green Turtle Bay, which is on you know the land between the lakes area, Tennessee River, Kentucky Lake. Barkley, um, yeah. Barkley. Barkley, yeah. So two hundred and fifty miles with the Paducah dock there, um, that cuts it to more like 200. So, um, Mm -hmm. if you have a, a, a boat that you are concerned about the range, it's a little bit easier now than when Jake did it, but obviously Jake, it sounds like you only used about a half a tank even on that stretch.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, and right after that, it was like fuel just was not a concern anymore, you know, which was nice.
0: Absolutely, so one of the other Concerns. So those who are proponents of using a sailboat for the loop, obviously the the um, cost savings is substantial. Right. Um one of the hindrances for some is that mast. You can't do a whole lot of sailing on the rivers in particular. Right. And there are some um bridges where you have to take it down, and probably other bridges that you need to wait for openings when you might have otherwise been able to kind of slide through. So Talk about right. those logistics and you know where you found the mast to be an issue, if at all.
1: Okay, I carried the mast. I didn't send it. A lot of people send it from Crowley's and they send mm-hmm. it down to Turner's down in Mobile Bay. Yes.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: I didn't do that. I carried it on the deck. I tried to find a place locally where I live around by Utica or Peoria or somewhere to have the mast put back up. I couldn't. I mm-hmm. couldn't find anybody to do it. Now, I think Heritage Harbour can do it now i've talked to them
2: mm-hmm. and they
1: might be able to put it up for you the bridge at ottawa it's kind of iffy there depending on the height of the water because you're right around 50 i think that's 50 or 55 feet somewhere in there which is kind of low for a sailboat uh so if the river was up you might have you have if putting it up at heritage harbor you have to go underneath that bridge after you leave there so that wouldn't work uh, i had mine put up at green turtle bay I would have had it again put it up earlier at Green Turtle Bay. I made it all the way down to Mobile Bay. No problem. I did have to have some bridges open for me. But I was only at about 47, 48 feet without the antenna on top.
0: Okay, so um, taking it down at um, Crowley's, as Jake said, so for those of you contemplating a sailboat, um, the reason for taking it down at Crowley's is that there is a, the lowest fixed bridge on the Great Loop that has no alternate way around um, is on the Illinois waterway at mile marker 300.5 or so. And it's charted at 19.6 feet. Um, So every sailboat is gonna need to take the mast down um, to to get through that bridge. Um, So interesting that you did put it back up, though, because I do get questions about that, and it's it's kind of challenging um, to really figure out where you might have trouble if you put it back up. So that's great information that you know possibly yeah. the bridge at Ottawa may be tough to clear if the the mast was up, but after Green Turtle Bay, it's pretty much um, smooth oh, sailing, <laughs> so yeah. to speak.
1: Well, now I've talked to I, I almost bought another sailboat mm-hmm. that I was going to not really do the loop on, but I was going to go back down to Florida. Mm -hmm. and that's the starved rock marina there right before the lock and dam uh, they can put up a mast there the problem there is that you're looking at a draft four feet would really be pushing it they're more Mm -hmm. like three and a half the boat i was looking at had three and a half well i was going to put it up there and i'd have the mast bent down the whole way which you can do it stabilizes the boat a little bit better carrying it on the deck on a sailboat when i left up in chicago and i was I kept my boat down at Hammond, and I had to go up I wanted to go downtown Chicago to go through well, I couldn't really go there. I had to go way out in the lake because it was so rough, mm. and that boat was rocking and that mast laying on there and it's tied down, but still it's, it's it's not really that tied down. you know he just done some apron there. I was right. worried I was going to leave it before he <laughs> lose it before he even started
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: on that, but we made it through there, and it is that you know in rough waters, but on the rivers. There really isn't that much yeah. of left water. But it stabilizes the boat a little bit, having that mast up in your rigging.
0: Right. But so then you would need to take the mast down again when you are trying to work your way back into the Great Lakes. So somewhere on the New York yeah. canals, Catskills. regardless of which direction you go, you're going to need to
1: to yeah. clear some Catskill, low bridges again. So
0: where, where did you take it down?
1: Yeah. Catskill, New York. Mm-hmm. Works really good. Uh, they're set up for it. They've got a permanent uh, crane there. Uh, they've got all the two by fours to make the a frames, everything that they're all set up. They got mm-hmm. the screws to put it together. you know it it's a nice deal there and then put it there. I put it down and then I put it back up in Ontario up in uh yeah I forget the name Midland Ontario, Midland. yeah, and there are several yards
0: there. probably in Midland that can do that, but so, yeah, you know, again, the, the New York state canals, whether you're going north through Lake Champlain or whether you're kind of heading west into the Erie Canal, you're going to hit some low bridges that you're going to have to have that down. Right. So for the sailors out there who are considering taking their sailboat on the loop, that's the other spot where you've got some low bridges that, that don't open. So um, your choice to carry it with you is one that, that some folks do. Was it in a way, was it, a you know, if you were to do this all again, would you... Again carry the mast with you or would you ship it?
1: I'd take it with me.
0: Yeah.
1: i take it with me and put it up as soon as I could mm-hmm. and you know to make the clearances. Uh one other thing to note is at Hammond I didn't really know it, but they have a crane there that puts the mast up too.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they don't they don't do the crating up or sending it, you know, down to Turner's, but it is at a fraction of the cost taking the mast down. Usually it's around $300 to $400. Mhm. Might be 125 or 130 hmm. at hand. Well, it Take is it quite there. a bit of a savings. savings. Well,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes sense too, because of course you can um, then do the um, Chicago River, the downtown Chicago route, because you're right. already have the mass down. You've already got that um, and, and lowered air clearance um, on your boat. So it's a great idea. And we all like to save some money, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, any other advantages in your opinion to doing this? on a sailboat
1: or any other disadvantage the disadvantage i'll I'll talk about (laughs) that's the draft Mm
0: -hmm. the
1: the water draft the boat draft that's Mm -hmm. the problem uh you know i went across the gulf there and uh coming in to the uh intercoastal i kind of misjudged and i took another Mm -hmm. inlet that on the charts everything was fine Mm -hmm. when i got there it was not fine it was very very uh shallow water there were all buoys out should have been fine i got a ground there i had to get sea tow out actually it was a towboat us to come out i had a call kind of in a panic i called the coast guard
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, that was a <laughs> an eye-opening experience i should say that uh, are you in uh, fear of your life Mm-hmm. and that's the question you get and it's like if depending what you answer if they're coming it's a salvage operation it's not you know to mm. get them out of there
2: mm-hmm. so i
1: said well not at this point but i says, i'm a little scared and they said well they, and they helped me out i had two anchors out trying to stop it from drifting into further shallow water but we were on a probably about a uh, oh a 50 to 60 degree angle well, uh, okay. mast and it was just pounding the boat on the sand very hard and I was worried that it wouldn't hold up, but as it worked out, the boat was fine. We got out of there, we got over to a marina and uh, there was really no damage to the boat. Well, it, shouldn't have, it bent the propeller shaft, I had that, but no, no damage to the fiberglass or the keel or anything.
0: And what?
1: So what yeah,
0: what does your boat
1: draw? 4-9, but Four, nine. when loaded, you know, you're about 5, really.
0: Yeah. yeah well and this year with water so low in a lot of places um it's an even an additional challenge and um it's not uncommon for loopers to run aground um but there's been a lot of people running aground us included this year on you know things that normally (laughs) would be several feet below the water um or further below the water than they are now so that's the biggest challenge with the water low it's and it's interesting because you know depending on your perspective if you need a little bit more room to clear some of the bridges, the water being low is a good thing, right. um, you know. So if your air draft is your your kind of limiting factor, the low water is great. But if you have a deeper keel, low water is not so good. So, um, you know, I guess it's all just how you look at things.
1: <laughs> that that about? was the hardest thing I thought too, because that that sand, you know, like it is down there now. All the charts have to be, you know, they're they're not accurate with all the sand with the hurricane coming through there. And we were, I finally figured out that you can call Towboat US and they will put you in contact with someone local and give you the local info. That was great. Then I knew, but I, I ran the ground again. Uh, I think it was two more times mm-hmm. because of the inlets. In fact, what happened was we got up to Cape Fear River up in, you know, between North and South Carolina and we mm-hmm. went out. We went out for 87 hours straight up. To Ocean City, Maryland.
0: Wow, that is a long
1: Yes, we learned around Cape Mm Hatteras, right up there. Because we knew that New Jersey was going to be bad, too. We had heard that they didn't really maintain it that well, so we were afraid of that. So Ocean Mm -hmm. City, Maryland, and then we were up to Atlantic City after that, so we were pretty much clear.
0: So I want to take a break and play a message from one of our sponsors. We've talked a lot about the sailboat aspect, which is makes you um, somewhat unique among loopers. But I want to talk some also about the solo aspect and how much you actually had crew aboard and how much you are solo, because that also makes you a little bit unique among loopers. So um, we'll go ahead and take that break. We'll be back in a moment. Okay. Artisan's mattress features custom Tempur-Pedic beds in every imaginable shape. We are the only authorized customizing firm for the Tempur-Pedic Company. This honor has been earned by Artisan's Custom Mattresses every day since 1999. Artisan's expertise retains all original Tempur-Pedic manufacturing standards, materials, features, and therefore the 10-year limited warranty. We customize Tempur-Pedic beds for every imaginable use, including yachts, boats, custom homes, motorhomes, RVs, planes, trains, and trucks. Go to our website, artisansmattress.com, for a free estimate or call now, 800-482-6956. Customer satisfaction is Artisan's foundation. We're back on Great Loop Radio today. We're continuing our series on our... Sorry, let me start that again. We're back on Great Loop Radio today. We're continuing our series on the story of our loop. And in this case, it is the story of my loop. And that person is Jake Kranzik. Um, But Jake, you have uh, looped solo, but you did have crew aboard some of the times. And I noticed when you've yes. been telling some of the stories, you have said we. So tell us a little bit about that. Who did you bring aboard? And, and how often were you solo versus having crew accompany you?
1: It ended up I was totally solo from about around Tupelo, Mississippi to uh, Turner's and then I was solo from Turner's to Pensacola. From Pensacola to Tarpon Springs, someone was with me. And mm-hmm. then they left and then from Tarpon Springs down to Cape Coral, I went by myself. Uh, that's where I spent the winter was at Cape Coral, mm-hmm. which was, was ground zero for the latest Absolutely. hurricane.
2: you, yes. so,
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was the great, it was a municipal marina. Uh, was very reasonable. They had nice facilities. They were located in a residential area, so it wasn't uh, downtown or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, I've seen uh, some of the videos from there. It's, uh, it's a shame what's happened.
0: It is definitely devastating for that area and for um, I think I've said it before on our podcast, but you know there are have certainly been other storms of that magnitude, but this one seems to have had the biggest impact on the Looping community. Uh, You know, more looper boats lost there and not so much current loopers, but gold loopers who fell in love with Fort Myers and chose to make that their their home, uh, whether aboard or on land. Um, So many had uh, homes and boats damaged or completely lost by that storm. So it's been a big one for the looper community and um, caused a lot of people to change their their winter plans this year. So it is uh devastating really for for all of them and since you spent a winter there i spent last winter there and uh you spent the winter of your loop there and um yeah it's it's hard to uh imagine it not being the way we have we've seen it
2: Yes, yeah. yes, yeah.
0: yeah so we are continuing for for those who are wondering and we've gotten a lot of questions about this we were scheduled to have our winter rendezvous in um fort myers we have kind of adjusted the event um, to not be a rendezvous, there's just no place to dock boats. The dockage has been destroyed. So we really can't have a rendezvous because it would be hard for current loopers to be there with no place to put their boats. Um, and right. we can't have our looper crawls if there are no boats docked in marinas nearby. So we're having um, our looper palooza event, which we had done before the pandemic. And it kind of combines um, a Great Loop Lifestyle seminar, which is our introductory seminar, about a day and a half. And it combines that with a route briefing, which is a day and a half. And and those are not held simultaneously. So you can actually register for both tracks. And there's also a gold looper reunion thrown in there. So maybe Jake, we will see you, or perhaps uh, some of those who you looped with might be there. But um, so if you're interested in that, go to the greatloop.org website and you can find out all about that event. But Jake, tell us, um, you know, you mentioned that you had crew aboard for some pretty long stretches. Who were they? You know, how did you find crew for somebody who's maybe uh, <laughs> considering solo but wants to have some crew
1: there? Yeah, I, t- I told a lot of friends and relatives before I went. You said, you're more than welcome. And that's, again, why I wanted that split uh, cabin so that they could feel comfortable, you know, coming there. And I uh, ended up that I had a friend. He came for about a week uh, down in uh, Cape Coral. We went around Sanibel, things like that. But and then he mm. went back had a friend that started with me and then, you know, got off, like I say, around Tupelo, Mississippi. And then my uh, niece and her boyfriend came and spent the whole month of February with me. Mm -hmm. So that was very good. And we went all around Sanibel and the coast there. Then we went to the Dry Tortugas and went down there for a little over a week. That was great. And then went over to Marathon and then they went back. I had met two fellas uh, up in, uh, like, Demopolis. I think it was a little further north and demopolis and i ran across uh and they had uh, the illinois registration on their sailboat so i kind of you know befriended them and started to talk to them and here that's the one fella uh from where i'm at right now with my daughter he's 10 minutes away and i have no oh. <laughs> never been <in> the <laughs> And the well, other fella was in california and they had been uh uh grade school friends in indianapolis and they had done a trip coming down the uh Wisconsin River and Wisconsin and kayaks and they thought they wanted to try something different so they said we're going to get a sailboat and I got a little sailboat and they were just headed down to Florida. They weren't really talking about doing the whole loop, but I befriended and we talked and I tried to find someone to go with me all the way back to Chicago and I had a hard time that that's a while well, you know to be on the boat. it's half the loop for sure and uh, I couldn't find anybody. So I called these fellows and said, hey, if you want to ride back to Chicago, I says, you can come with me. And uh, it took them about 10 minutes. And they called me back and said, okay, we're coming. Nice. They went all the way back to Chicago with me. It was Max Van Diver and Caleb Wright. Mm -hmm. Caleb's from California and Max is from Pingree Girls right over here.
0: Yeah. So tell me why you decided that you really wanted to have crew aboard some solo loopers um rarely take on crew um and some of that sometimes depends on the boat your boat's kind of a reasonable size so what was your kind of compelling reason to want to have somebody else with you
1: well the the hardest thing at least on the sailboat with me uh that i found found was anchoring Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much dropping the anchor but it was picking it up when you, as soon as you pick that anchor up, that boat's going to move.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if no one's at the helm, I had autopilot, but I mean, that's, you know, it's in neutral. I don't have it in gear, you know, right. turning over anywhere. And that was an issue. And when it's windy, that's a real issue. And then you're, you're trapped there. As you know, everything on the loop is dependent upon the weather. Yeah. And that, that really got me. And I thought, you know, I'd really like to have somebody. And my wife wanted somebody on board to live
0: those are very good reasons so you know we talked about your boat being a very economical choice um tell us a little bit more because we tell people that a lot of the loop's costs are controllable based on the choices you make right the boat itself which you made a very economical choice um but then also on uh, some of your other cruising preferences like anchoring versus marinas how many miles per day you're cruising what were kind of your general preferences on things like that?
1: Well. It it depends on the location where you were. You know, when I was at at Cape Coral, that was two months Mm -hmm. in a marina, you know what I mean, for the winter. But when I was traveling, you know, we went straight down to uh, the Dry Tortugas. You know, that was an overnight sail. And then we were there. There's no marinas there. There's no docks there. You just have to anchor out. And we were fine with that. And we, you know, coming back, uh, you know, over towards the Key West and everything. It took us two days to get to Key West. We only went five miles an hour that was it on the whole the whole trip Mm -hmm. At the average i think was like 4.7 so you're you're talking 30 miles a day for a six hour day you know Mm -hmm. 40 miles a day for an eight hour day that's a long day you know so you're not going to travel every day and i was fine with anchoring Mm -hmm. you know i I like i enjoyed it i had a small generator little honda generator so we can if we, the batteries went low or anything, I could charge those up if the motor battery was low or something to start I could charge that up. And we had, you know, a microwave and other things on board. So that that made it really convenient to have that. And that's that's about all we really needed.
0: Yeah. Was the and I, I should have asked you this earlier when we were talking about kind of the boats specifications so to speak but was the speed ever an issue you know most of the time you're heading with the current coming in the, the inland right. rivers with the exception of you know the Ohio might have been a challenge uh, but also in some of the highly tidal areas on the east coast where the current can be against you how challenging yes. was it? Carlson, when the boat is, was, yes, yeah.
1: Carlson has a really
0: uh, yes. I remember there
1: <laughs> my nephew went when I took him out and his a couple of his kids we went for a ride down the river there and we came back, and I had told the marina, I said, you know, I said, I'll call you when I get back. Yeah, I'll call you. We'll, we'll come out. Well, when we came back, that tide was going out. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe, you know, if they weren't there and, to throw, and I had to throw them the lines, I don't know if I would have got in there, you know, trying to get in that slip. Yeah. Because they had two guys, two young guys had all they could do to pull that thing in there. Oh, yeah. You know. So it is, you know, the other place I saw it was up, I think it was in the Trent Severn up there. You know, some of those locks are along the side and they've got a dam off to one side Mm -hmm. and the water gets really ripping through there. You know, once you get in that channel to get in toward the lock, you're okay. But you got to watch the times there because, you know, they close at five or four and, and that's it. I mean, you know, they're gone to help you. So in those instances, but I never... Didn't have enough power to do it. Mm -hmm. I think it was 26 horsepower was Mm -hmm. all that little diesel had. But it had had enough power.
0: Yeah. Well, and there have been loopers, um, many, (laughs) and locals in Charleston who, um, with much more horsepower, that had the same struggles as you, (laughs) trying to pull into a (laughs) a marina. Our our currents are not real friendly for docking. Um, So yeah, you're not alone in that. (laughs) Um, So tell us, you know, this was an adventure for you tell us yes. you know reflecting now a few years back you know what did mm-hmm. you gain from doing this what does this mean to your you know your life's story that you had this adventure
1: well it was you know it was an, it was a, an adventure that i really liked i I've talked to it a lot to different people they've never heard of it uh, i made a video i think i gave you a copy of it and i had and yep. I gave a lot of people copies of that, and I still do whenever they bring, you know, the, oh, what is that? And then I say, well, here you can have this, and this is the whole trip to understand it. So it it really is. Uh, I felt I accomplished something by doing it. There was no way. By the time I was headed up to New York, that was not going to complete this. You know,
2: <laughs> it was going to
1: happen no matter what. Uh, you know, as far as time goes, but it, it worked out for us, and yep. uh, we we made it through.
0: What were some of the highlights of the trip?
1: The highlights of the trip, I would say, was uh, the rivers were interesting. Every bit had a it's very unique. The rivers I enjoyed because they lived in the rivers, and the rivers were easy to navigate in a sailboat because they're all 9 feet, 10 feet deep because mm-hmm. they, they keep the channel that deep, you know. Right. So that wasn't a problem. Uh, the dry tortugas, that was really nice. When they're going out, uh, you know, for that 87 hours, that was mm-hmm. really something to do so see we had flying fish come on board everything else at night <laughs> wow. and uh anchoring behind the Statue of Liberty mm-hmm. wasn't sure if we could do that but we did and there was another boat in there and then yeah. a couple of other of us that was really nice and should have stayed there a couple of nights until I look at the video and then I see how rough it was that's why we left <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, the Trent Severn and the Erie Canal were just great both of them well, the- and we did it on the year that we didn't have to pay because Uh, one of those anniversary celebrations. Yes, I remember those well. And
0: the fact that you got over to the Dry Tortugas is huge too, because the weather is not generally cooperative in the winter. You know, the time of year that most loopers are in Southwest Florida and the Keys, it's not usually real conducive for a crossing to the Dry Tortugas. And since you got to do it, you know, it's pretty remote there and you really need to be.
1: Yes, um, very remote, but it's well um, worth the effort. Absolutely
0: got to do that, um, not during our loop. We actually made a separate trip um, in June um, because that's oh. usually the more, wet, the friendlier weather um, for that crossing. And, and we have a podcast on that if anybody's interested in the Dry Tortugas, just search on that. But um, really amazing trip and I highly recommend it, but I also don't want anybody to risk a bad weather window um, You yeah. know, in December, January, February, where most loopers are in that area. Usually the weather's not ideal and you are remote. We were there in a um, sailboat wow. ran around on the reef and could not get off. And it was the next day before Towboat US could reach them. Um, so it's, yeah. it's, it's a different kind of cruising than the loop. You are much more on your own. There is no cell service. There is no, no. Uh, facilities of any kind, really. So, um, but I'm so glad you got to do that because it is such an adventure. Um, and obviously you had a, a nice long weather window to get there and spend some time well, and get and- back.
1: The weather window going there was great. The weather window leaving there was great, but we had 60 knot winds. We oh. were there one night. Mm-hmm. And that put us, it, the anchor, put, I spun me around. I shouldn't say the anchor dragged, but when it spun me around 180 degrees, I was aground down yes. there. Yeah. And that was, uh, there was a boat there from Cuba. Some fishermen, they came out and tried to pull me out.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they broke the line. Another sailboat came over in a dinghy to help me, didn't, but the Rangers will not come. Right. They will not leave. You're right. on your own. And uh, we got off the next day. It wasn't that serious, but it was a, you know, there were some very experienced sailors and they said, Oh, that was 60 knots. <laughs> <At least. laughs> yeah. It was rough. But again, we lived through it. We went on and, and it made an adventure.
0: Yeah. You know, just in talking to you, Jake, front. I get the feeling that you have lots of stories Um with really adventuresome parts of your overall adventure. I think we could dig deeper on that for a long time, but we are starting to run out of time. Um, so as we wrap up, I would love to hear, because you kind of mentioned early on that you really had never had a boat before. Um, so this right. was new to you. What advice would you give to other people who are, are new to this idea and perhaps new to boating too about the best way to go about getting ready for this trip?
1: Well, do research. I, I learned to sail on YouTube. That's what I, <laughs> what I and it seemed to work, and I sailed partially, and you know, for about half a summer up in Chicago, on Lake Michigan. Uh, it's just I think the skipper Bob was saying, you know, do it. If you wait for everything to be perfect, oh, I want this perfect boat, I want to have this money, this amount of money to do the trip. I want to have this. It's never going to happen.
2: Yeah.
1: You just have to go. Yeah. You make the best of it. You don't want to get yourself in trouble. Do some research on this. You yeah. know, make right. sure you're safe, but. If you're waiting for all the conveniences and everything, you can do with a lot less, I found out, than what you really think you need. I did a lot less, and I was comfortable.
0: Yeah. That is great advice. We will leave it there for today. Jake Crancic, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really um, delightful to hear your stories, and you're leaving me wanting to know more. So hopefully our paths will cross again someday soon and um, we can sit down and have a couple of uh, dock tales and I can hear more of your, your journeys.
1: The next time you're in Chicago.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Jake. And
1: right, thank you thank to you. everyone
0: who has watched or listened today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.